You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. I've spent some 20 hours on top of years of experience as a prepare to meet Jesus instructor, putting this three page guide together so you won't be helpless. All you have to do is pay attention and do what it says, and you'll be ready to meet Jesus. There are countless books, videos, and programs out there designed to prepare you to survive just about any disaster scenario you can think of. Considering the state of our world and the increasing frequency of cataclysmic events, it may not hurt to brush up on some of them. But as Pastor Danny warns in today's message, Jesus' coming is the most important thing to prepare for. Inevitably, whether it be by natural disaster, old age, or the end of this age, you will come face to face with Him. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Revelation chapter 22 as he continues his message, Living in the Light of the Soon Coming of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 22, we're not going to read the whole chapter because uh, we read it last week. It is the final chapter in our study of the book of Revelation. Three times in this chapter, Jesus speaking and he says, behold, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. I said last week, it's my strong conviction that he means us to understand this from our perspective not God's perspective. Uh, We mentioned last weekend, God, uh, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. So if you understand it from God's perspective, you go, well, to him, soon, what does that really mean? I'm I'm convinced he means it uh, for us to understand from our perspective. We looked at fulfilled prophecies in relationship to the second coming last week. Jesus in his first coming, said to his disciples, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. And in light of the fulfilled prophecy of his first coming, he says to his disciples, how blessed you are and how blessed we are. We see even more prophecy fulfilled since his first coming related now to his second coming. But we springboard from chapter 22, verse 11, an odd verse on the surface. Let's read it. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. What does that verse mean? 
Well, in the context of his soon coming and the larger context of scripture, some will get it and some won't. Just like in his first coming, when Jesus said, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. He also said in that same context, Isaiah prophesied that some hearts would be calloused despite the great revelation, despite, despite the clear word of the Lord through Jesus himself. And for some, it made no difference, the revelation. It made no difference, the fulfilled prophecy right before their eyes. Still the same today. Some will get it. They'll really hear. They'll really see. And it'll make a difference in their life. Some won't get it. And it won't make a difference. So we continued this weekend because we want to look again at the theme of chapter 22. Behold, I'm coming soon. Three times he says it. He wants us to be prepared. And thinking about this, I got a text from my brother last week. I don't know if you're aware. I might have missed it had my brother not texted me. But last week in eastern Tennessee, there was an earthquake that measured 4.4 on the rector scale. Eastern Tennessee. One of the signs of his coming, there'll be earthquakes in divers or various places. Sometimes now we have them in places you never heard of an earthquake before. And so I went online and I read some experts about earthquakes. Even though we live in Florida and we're more concerned about hurricanes, the experts say, and I read, earthquakes affect all 50 states. And so not only do we need to get ready for hurricanes, You better be ready for an earthquake. And here's what the experts write. Earthquakes are a matter of when, not if. The majority of people are unprepared because of complacency, denial, or ignorance. The recipe for becoming a victim. We've spent over 30 hours on top of years of experience as emergency preparedness instructors, putting this one-page guide together so you won't be helpless. And in the one-page guide, I share with you the top four things of how to prepare for an earthquake. Number one, reduce dangerous things that will fall during an earthquake. Number two, take annual videos of your possessions. That ties in with number three, make sure you have earthquake insurance. And then number four, retrofit your home to survive the earthquake. Not only retrofit your home when you have kids, but now retrofit your home to prepare for the earthquake. So I read that, and it got me to thinking. And here's what I wrote for the message. I've spent some 20 hours on top of years of experience as a prepare-to-meet-Jesus instructor, putting this three-page guide together so you won't be helpless. All you have to do is pay attention and do what it says and you'll be ready to meet Jesus. Number one, live a holy life. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. What does that mean? First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one, verse 13. 
Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Second coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance before you committed your life to Christ. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You can write down Hebrews 12 verse 14. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. What is holiness? I think this is a good definition. Holiness. Purity. Integrity of moral character. Sanctity. Where did I get that definition? I had to go all the way back to the 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary. Sanctity. That's a good one. What does that mean? It means you're sanctified for God's purposes. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That means everything about my life is to have God in it. What I do in my work and how I work. What's my work ethic? Who I'm going to marry. Very important. God, show me. I don't want to marry the person unless you want me to marry them. Where do I live? Everything about your life has God in the equation. That's what it means to live a holy life. Could be a whole message, but I think you understand that. So we go to point number two. And for the last three points, I'm on very, very solid ground. Because it's Jesus' words himself. Matthew chapter 25. And Matthew chapter 25, let me remind us, comes right after Matthew 24. And Matthew 24 is Jesus' answer to the disciples' question, what will be the sign of your coming? And at the end of the age. And he gives them a list of, okay, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. All the signs pointing to his soon coming. And then in chapter 25, after that, he gives them teachings, parables, so that they could understand and know how to be ready. Here's the first one. Chapter 25, Matthew, verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps. Went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. They all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil. Buy some for yourselves. In other words, you got to do it for yourself. Not, not, we can't do it for you. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. And once the door is shut, it will not be opened again. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I'll tell you the truth. I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know the day 
or the owl. What's noteworthy about this parable to help us understand it? Well, one, they're all virgins. What does that tell me? It tells me every one of them had some level of religious commitment. They all fell asleep. What does that tell me? Despite their religious commitment, they're all very human, very imperfect. They all fell asleep. No Christian I've met has been ready to meet Jesus every single hour of every single day. Unless you got saved about 60 seconds ago, you've had moments where you weren't ready. You fell asleep spiritually. You let your guard down. You did something stupid. Maybe you're doing something stupid now. You're not ready. They're all imperfect. They all fell asleep. What else do I know? Well, they all had lights. All 10 of them. And if you looked outwardly, that tells me you would say, oh, they're all Christians. You'd be wrong. Because the one difference, the one difference in the five wise and the five foolish, what was it? The five wise had oil. The five foolish had no oil. Their lamps, their lamps went out. Tells me that they were never, ever born again. It almost sounds like a contradiction for point number one, holiness, holiness. But it's more than a commitment to holiness. You can have a commitment to holiness and not be born again. You say, prove that from the scriptures. Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, religious people sitting in a church service right now have a religious commitment and have never, ever been born again. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. They don't know Jesus. Because it's more than religious commitment. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10 and he said, I confess my fellow Israelites, they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. They sought to establish their own righteousness. And they didn't submit to the righteousness that only comes from Jesus. Leave Matthew just for a moment. We're coming back. But John's gospel, chapter 3. John chapter 3, a man named Nicodemus, a religious leader, a religiously committed man, comes to Jesus at night. He comes at night because he doesn't want his, his fellow peers to know that he's begun to believe that Jesus is who he claims to be. And he comes to Jesus and he opens the conversation by saying, we know you must be from God. Nobody can do the things you're doing unless they were sent from God. And Jesus, seemingly ignoring that kind of flattery, even though it's true, he says to Nicodemus, verse 3, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. It's more than religious commitment. It's more than belief in God. It's more than a desire to do good. You have to be born again. And if you've never been born again, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. It's essential. And once you're really born again, no matter how young or how old you were when that happened, 
Romans chapter 8 verse 16 becomes a reality in your life where it says the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You just know that you know that you know because he's come to live inside you. So how do I know I'm ready? I'm living a holy life. Yeah, but it's more than that. I make sure I've been born of the Spirit. I've been born again. By faith in Jesus Christ. Number three, Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money. To another two talents. To another one talent. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come, share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've, get, I've gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew you're a hard man. Harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And what do you know about this parable to help us understand? Number one, the wicked, lazy servant who did nothing, he didn't know his master. Because if you really know him, he's not a hard man. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He's more loving than anyone else you've ever had relationship with in your life. He did not really know his master. He had a fear of his master and he had never experienced what it means to know the love of God that's shed abroad in our heart because perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. He feared God. He didn't know God. He had no relationship. What else do you note in this parable? They were given according to their ability. And they were only judged based on what they were given. I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, Pastor, if I had it, I'd give it. You're lying to yourself. How do I know that? Leave Matthew. Go with me to Luke's gospel. Chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. 
Verse 10, Jesus again, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, God's, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And notice the next verse. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. They didn't like what he had to say. People that say I would give if I had more. It's a lie. He judged them according to what he had given them. And here's what I say without apology. What we do with our money has eternal consequences. I believe the tithe is to honor the Lord. I've tried to tithe. That means 10% of everything God's given me from the time I became a Christian when I was 19 years old. Why do I believe in the tithe? Because Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek and Melchizedek is Christ before the law. Because Jacob before the law gave a tenth to God. Because the eternality of the tithe, I believe, is seen in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 9, referring back to Abraham giving to Melchizedek the tithe. And it even says there that the descendants of Abraham gave, in a sense, to Melchizedek. And so to me, it's the eternal principle all throughout the scriptures. Proverbs 3 verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your increase. What's the first fruits? 2 Chronicles 31 5. says the Israelites gave a tenth of everything. And then the same verse, they gave the first fruits. The first fruits, the tithe. The tithe, the first fruits. And it's such a blessing to be able to do that. And you cannot outgive God. Second way to know I'm ready to meet Jesus face to face. Am I taking of the monies that he's given me and entrusted to me? And some he's given little and some he's given much. But he only judges based on what he's given. Am I taking some of those monies? And am I investing them for kingdom purposes? And I believe the local church is the first and foremost place. I believe we tithe through the local church that we're a part of, but we don't tithe to the church. We tithe to the Lord through the church. Big difference. Big difference. To the Lord through the church. And you know what they tell me? You know what the Barna studies, the guy that does all these church studies says? That the generation coming up now... They're not givers like the Christian generation I come from. I don't say that in a proud or self-righteous way. I say that in a sad way. And listen, if you're a young person and you're starting out in a job and you're only making, you know, minimum wage, you're a Christian, give God a tenth of every paycheck you get. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of all your increase and make it a practice in your life and you will be blessed. 
We're so blessed to be able to share the Word of God with you on each new edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our valued listening audience, and thanks for tuning in today. We'd like to take a moment and ask you to consider partnering with us as we continue to share the hope of salvation with the world. Would you join us in praying for the listeners of The Living Word? Pray that God would touch each person with His love and open their hearts to the truth of His Word. Please pray also for us. We want to continue following God's plans for this program, no matter where He asks us to go. We know the power of prayer, and we appreciate you doing this for us. Would you also ask the Lord about contributing financially to The Living Word? This program is professionally produced to provide the best quality messages possible so as to not distract from the Word. That does incur some costs, however. So if you feel led to give, visit our website at ccfstpete.church and click on the online giving guide under Forms. Any amount is used for this ministry and is greatly appreciated. Thanks for praying about this. While you're at our website, you'll be able to listen to additional teachings from this series in Revelation, as well as learn more about the Living Word. That website once more is ccfstpete.church. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. We pray God continues to bless you as you study His Word and open your heart to His love and grace. Thanks for listening today to The Living Word.